During her 40-year career in government, Soraya Correa was a risk-taker. Whether it was taking on new positions with the Navy or GSA, Korea knew the risks were worthwhile as long as she did one thing consistently. And that's create real and lasting relationships with her federal colleagues and industry counterparts. Korea recently retired from public service, having spent the last six years as the chief procurement officer at the Homeland Security Department. She tells Federal News Network's Jason Miller about how those relationships helped ensure mission success. One of the things that I believe is important for a leader to understand, and and I always cultivated this, was I have to understand the other person's perspective. Whether I'm negotiating a contract or just bartering with someone about hiring a person, you have to understand the other person's perspective. And that's one thing that I think I've done well. That doesn't mean that I will always agree with you, but it does mean that I try to put myself in your shoes and understand why you see things the way you do, as opposed to just saying, well, what's wrong with them? They're wrong, what have you. I don't, I don't immediately jump to the conclusion that someone is wrong. I jump to the conclusion that there might be a reason why they're thinking that way or why they're hesitating or why they're not comfortable. So what I'm trying to do, and I started this very early in my career, I probably did this when I was a GS4, I just don't remember that far back. Whenever I wanted to do something or try something new, I would sit down and explain why I wanted to do something, right? Why I thought this was a good idea, how I looked at it. And and I would always ask the question, what do you think? How does this look to you? Do, are you? do you have concerns? And I would take into consideration what they had to say. One of the reasons I think that I've had good relationships, especially with the attorneys, is, and I'm not going to tell you that we always agree. We can agree to disagree. But what, I, what we have is a mutual respect because I was willing to listen. I was willing to ask, well, what is the concern that you have? And sometimes I even went to them and said, here's what I want to do. Get me there. Help me. That's what causes people to want to get in your corner. And it's about credibility and respect. And it's about not throwing people under the bus when it doesn't work. And I think you know that one of my tenets has always been, when it works, y'all can take the credit. I'm happy to give the credit to others when it works. But if it doesn't work, I'll take responsibility for that. I'll step up and say, my bad. and, and I think that's about credibility. It's about people feel comfortable taking a risk with you because they know you're going to be with them and that you're going to support them and be a good partner in the relationship. And that's what I've strived for. I've always strived uh, to, to make sure that people understood, I'm in it with you. We're going to do this together. And uh, this thing goes wrong. Well, I'll step up to the plate. That's what relationships are all about. It's about building trust. It's about having credibility. It's about doing what you said you were going to do. And if you can't do what you said you're going to do, you tell them. The flash procurement, the, the failed agile attempt. And I think one of the things that stood out to the community is, is you did step up and, and, and give your folks top cover. You did take full responsibility. We tried something that didn't work and that's my fault. What did you learn from that experience? How have you applied that And what can others take from that experience? We learned a lot of lessons from that. We were aggressive and we were trying to do a really big procurement. And we didn't use the down select processes perfectly. I'm not sure that our team always understood the objectives and the risks that they could take. I'm not sure that I did a really great job, let me say it that way, great job of making sure they understood here are some of the risks that you can take. Here are some of the corners 
I don't want to say corners that you can cut, but things where we could change things. So we took an agile approach to doing the procurement, and then we fell into a waterfall documentation process that just turned into a protest nightmare. And one of the things that, that really happened, you know, we probably could have continued to fight the protest, and maybe we would have won. But I'm not going to do multiple rounds of protests, and I was never going to cave. So on Flash, what we learned was we got to think about that strategy a little bit more closely. And we need to bring industry in much earlier. And so what you'll find is if you look at a lot of the major procurements that we've been working on over the last few years, Data Center, First Source 3, and others, that's what we've been doing. We've been engaging industry very early and often sharing with them, here's what we're thinking about doing, here's what we're looking at, here's what the schedule is, here are the documents that we're going to give you, here's a statement of work, eval criteria, etc. So I think we didn't do enough of that in, in Flash. We did some of that, but not enough of that. We didn't look at the entire process. We focused on the solicitation, evaluation, but we didn't focus on the documentation piece. Well, that's what my Procurement Innovation Lab has done really well. We've come up with better approaches to how we document, how we engage with industry, et cetera. And we've used the down-select process more efficiently than we did on Flash. But the most important lesson that we learned in Flash, I believe, as a leader, is that when you step up and support your people, they will take risks. They will support you. And they will stand with you. It would have been easy for me to just, you know, kind of not say anything and say the CEO didn't do that or this person didn't do that. Blah, blah. Yeah, I could have pointed to all those things. No, no. My responsibility. I said, we're going to do this and we're going to try it. And you know what? It doesn't matter what those little missteps might have been. At the end of the day, I was responsible for guiding and directing the process. And it didn't work out. But you know what? I also made sure that people understood failure can lead to success. Failure is not that bad a word. When you fail because you're trying to do something better, different, more efficiently, you're probably going to learn. And that's what most successful people will tell you. So, and, and I use the word failure in government because people don't like that word, right? It's scary. Somebody, you know, the bad, the, the failure gods will come and get you or whatever. I use the word failure because it is a strong word. And I want people to understand we're going to stub our toe. We're going to make mistakes. It's okay when you're trying to do something better, more efficient, more effective. And as long as you have a plan B, a way to get yourself out of it and fix the problem and learn from it. When it comes to these types of multiple work contracts, what is your position on saying, if you are minimally qualified, we're going to let you on the contract and not worry about only having 20 people or 30 companies or, or, or some limited number. I, I think the unpriced schedule is section 876. I think there's a lot of pieces and parts that we can play into this, but, but one of the ways to solve this problem with procurement is, is to spend less time at the master contract level and more time at the task order level. Is, is that the direction that in, in many ways you think, government should go in or is going in or where do you stand on, on that kind of broad issue? I have always been of the position, whether it's a multiple award contract or, or a single award, our government deserves, is entitled to, and should get the very best value. We should get the most talented, most capable, the best products 
at the best prices. Notice I said best prices, not necessarily lowest price, because in value and obtaining value, sometimes you're going to be willing to pay a slightly higher price to achieve a certain level of value. So even on these multiple award contracts, you should strive to get the very best on those multiple award contracts so that you don't find problems, if you will, or, or find yourself in bad situations when you are at the task order level. I know that there are those that believe, you know, just go ahead, get yourself 50, 100 companies, whatever, and then we'll just negotiate at the task order level. That's okay. I, I think they call that GSA schedule. I mean, the GSA schedule program works beautifully. I love that program. I, I'm a user of it. I've been using it my entire career. But when we're doing these agency-specific contracts, I do think we should be striving for those that are the best so that when we get to that task order negotiation, we're focusing on the solution and not trying to figure out if the company is truly qualified or capable of doing the work. We should be focusing on the solution and the cost of that solution, the value of that solution. Um, so that's my position. That has always been my position. I just think write the contract to get the solution that you need to achieve the mission. And when I'm thinking of agency-specific level contracts, I think they should be focused on the mission of the agency, and we should be bringing the top-notch contractors in in the various categories of contractors to deliver the best value solutions. And, and at the task order level, let's focus on the solution. Soraya Correa recently retired after more than 40 years of public service, including the last six, as the chief procurement officer at Homeland Security. She was speaking there with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Check out Jason's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it 
so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but... Uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. 
And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.